developing guilds, I really do say, while we think of them as wean to finish pigs, they are not the same. Uh, Yet when we start them on feed, again, it's very important those first few weeks that we get them on feed. We spend that extra time. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. High D from DSM Ferminish can improve your pig's vitamin D status. High D offers pure, proven performance to help your pigs thrive. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Althena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Welcome to Swine It Canada. My name is John Patience, and I'm lucky to be the host of today's podcast. And with me today, we have Dr. Laura Greiner, who's on the faculty in the Department of Animal Science at Iowa State University. Uh, welcome, Laura. Thank you, John. Glad to be on here today. And for those that are not aware, uh, Laura will be my most experienced guest uh, because she hosts uh, Swine It in the U.S. So she's done, she's been on the other side of the camera many, many times. So actually the pressure's on me because she's the <laughs> most experienced uh, podcast host. But anyhow, Laura, delighted to have you with us today. We're going to have a series of three podcasts um, that are going to talk about um, sort of practical feeding management of, uh, of the developing guild, of the gestating sow, and the lactating sow. But before we do that, Laura, could you please introduce yourself to our, uh, to our listening audience? Absolutely. So as Dr. Patience or John mentioned, I am Laura Greiner, and uh, I am faculty. I am an assistant professor here at Iowa State University, and I'm also currently the director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center uh, on campus. And so um, I'm an Iowa State alum, did my master's and PhD here under Dr. Tim Staley, and uh, then spent about 13 years working in the Carthage system, overseeing the research there in swine production. A lot of the work was focused on sows and amino acid requirements, particularly in lactation. Um, also spent time working with our producers there within the Carthage system on nutrition and formulation work in wean to finish. And so um, joined Iowa State about five years ago now. And so I do teach. I teach an intro to swine production class here and I get to spend a lot of time working with graduate students and producers across the state and across the nation. So very happy to be on here today. Working with nature and not against it. Piglets fed AX3 see significant and improved feed efficiency. Producers know the reality of needing to reduce antibiotic and zinc use. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that promotes improved in barn performance, piglet health, and minimizes the need for zinc in the diet. 
For more information, visit www.protecta.com. That's www.protekta.com. And uh, again, thank you, Laura. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So let's kind of follow the the biological pathway and let's do our first podcast uh, dealing with the developing guilt. And I think there's lots of questions being asked about how Mm -hmm. to feed and manage the developing guilt. And I'm really interested in uh, the recommendations that you have, the experience that you've had in this phase of production. And so we will spend this podcast dealing with the developing guilt. So um, what what would be your your sort of key overarching recommendation to people when they are going in the barn in the morning to feed their guilts, developing guilts? Uh, what should they be looking for? What should they make sure they're doing? Or if they're developing, if they're a larger operation and they're managing people who are for performing that task, what uh, you would put an emphasis on? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely think it depends on the phase of, of that development that we're looking at, right? So um, developing guilts, I really do say, while we think of them as mean to finish pigs, they are not the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yet, when we start them on feed, again, it's very important those first few weeks that we get them on feed, we spend that extra time. And and really what we do see here, particularly in the United States, is if they are on site of the sow farm and they're in isolation when they first arrive, uh, they generally don't get chored until the last thing of the day. And uh, we already probably have some barn fatigue Um, setting in. People are kind of thinking about what are they going to do after work? And so the mindset maybe isn't um, there. And so certainly when I think about if we're going to receive new gilts in as weanlings, we want to make sure that that we are still doing at least two to three times a day, putting feed on mats or gruel feeding, if that's your choice, um, to try to get them started on solid feed. Um, really make sure that they're off to a good start, really having a chance to, to get our eyes on them, looking for pigs that aren't starting and treating them um, as needed with medications if they are struggling with transitional diarrhea or E. coli or, or some of the more common nursery ailments. Um, so that's probably my biggest um, requirement when they come into the nursery is, is really, uh, especially if they're on site of a sow farm and they're still locked in isolation, you know, try to have a staff member, at least for the first few days, that can be dedicated. They can go in in the morning and they can chore and maybe they're out in the afternoon doing bin maintenance. Or if it's in the summer and it's nice, they're mowing the grounds or they're checking bait stations and compost turnover or, you know, those types of activities and then can get back in in the afternoon. Um, if we're in our own facilities and, and they're away from the sows, then I think that's a little bit easier uh, but certainly as we step through the rest of, of wean to finish management, if you will, of a guilt, uh, we're, we're definitely looking at vaccination programs, trying to find ways to ensure that they're acclimated appropriately to diseases that they're going to be exposed to on the sow farm. Um, giving them the adequate space will be another one. So um, we're not, not saying they need a large amount of space, but certainly um, we don't want to short them in, in standard wean to finish spacing allowances, give them that that space to grow. 
Um, you know, so those excuse would be- me, Lord, just to just interject here, just because mm-hmm. I want to reemphasize what I think was a very, very good point, and that is, is really don't allow the feeding and management of the replacement gilts to be um, an add-on or something that doesn't receive the same priority that other functions have, and indeed maybe should have the highest priority uh, mm-hmm. because if you get the guilt right that you will be rewarded. And if you get it wrong, you will pay a penalty. And it brings to mind, this was many, many years ago, I visited a fairly large producer and uh, and we were in the, the breeding area. And the one young man was very proud when he introduced himself. He says, I'm the guilt breeder. And mm-hmm. the fellow who was giving me the tour explained that they, when they start and they're trained, they're breeding sows and the best breeder of sows becomes the guilt breeder. And yes. it's an honorary position, it's a better paid position, and this particular organization felt they had to have their very best people doing this. It couldn't be just another add-on. So mm-hmm. it sort of re-emphasizes what you were referring to, Laura, and I just used that as an example. I think it's a mm-hmm. very, very good point. Yeah, absolutely, right? Guilts are Gilts are our replacements. In theory, you know, they should have better genetics than what's sitting in our sow barn today. And so why are we not giving them every opportunity to express those genetics to their full potential? And then, of course, keep them in the herd so that they can, of course, um, pay for themselves and and then provide some some income after they've covered their costs. And so we we tend, like I said, right, that mindset is wean to finish and there really shouldn't be, it's, it should not be a wean to finish, right? It it is that. And it it goes along with two, well, how are you setting up your gestation barns in your sow farm? Because if your gestation barns are using electronic sow feeding stations or a free access stall or something that is novel to the guilds compared to a standard finisher feeder, where are you training her? When are you training her? How are you introducing this? Because again, we see this this mindset of, well, once we find her in her first heat, then we will train her. And what's happening is, right, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's probably not eating her full feed allowance, her full potential. And we're already starting then to cause changes in what she's going to ovulate and successfully conceive, right? Because all that follicular development is happening between the two. And then what happens? You know, we go to breeder on that second heat and then we go, why are, why are our gilts not performing? These are great genetics and what's just happened here. And, yeah. and so, again, I think guild development needs to be stepped into in a very mindful and thoughtful process of when are we doing the vaccinations? When are we doing trainings? How are we setting up, introducing feed, getting them started on feed, et cetera? Um, one of the other areas that we do see a lot or I have a, a pretty big passion about is just how much exposure we do with these gilts um, as they're developing. So when we think about vaccinations, for example, or feedback programs or natural plant exposures, whichever word you want to use, yeah. Yeah. we do a lot of these for our gilts, right? Oh, she's got to have PC, at least in the United States, she has to have PCV2 and mycoplasma um, injections when she's first weaned. And then maybe she's going into a PERS farm. So we're going to do a PERS vaccination. And then uh, we've got the standard reproductive vaccinations we might be introducing. And we probably will still give another booster of mycoplasma and PCV before she's ever weaned or bred. 
And we do a lot of those very close to each other and closer to maturity or to puberty, not maturity, sorry, but to puberty. And then we again wonder why she doesn't perform. Yeah. Right. We've yeah. got this immune system on such heightened alert and that takes energy, right? That takes nutrients and that diverts those nutrients away from other parts of the body, such as reproduction. And she's still growing. So right, she, we know she has yeah. demand on growth. Yeah. So yeah. we just think about how we're setting her up. It, it's not just nutrition, right? With the guilt, it's, it's all the pieces together and, and how we can create an effective animal. Um, which is yeah, a that's a that's a really good point too, isn't it? That uh, and we sometimes it's in the back of our mind, but sometimes it doesn't move to the forward of our thinking that we're expecting a lot of this guilt. We're expecting her to respond effectively to the immunization. We're expecting her to grow, but not too fast. Uh, and we're expecting her to grow in the right way in terms of protein and versus fat. Um, and we're we're expecting her to be uh, to achieve, achieve puberty uh, in a timely fashion. All of this going on, and your comment brought to mind um, uh, the, some work that Nicole Huntley did a, a number of years ago with me, where she challenged the immune system in young pigs, early growing pigs. Uh, this was LPS, so it's an artificial challenge, but nonetheless an immune challenge, and it increased the maintenance energy requirement by about twenty five percent. Sure. And that's a lot of energy that you're taking away from an animal that they would normally be using this for other purposes. And all of a sudden it's being used as part of the maintenance family of functions and therefore can't be used for these other purposes. And uh, so um, I really don't know what the energy demand of vaccination is. I don't know if that's ever been measured, but obviously it exists. And that's just something that we have to, help the guilt deal with um, and keep that in the fore of our forward of our thinking, not in the back of our mind. Another good mm -hmm. point. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. And I'm certainly not, and please don't take it this way. I'm not saying don't vaccinate your animals. It's yep. more of yep. thinking about how do you time those so that you're not right up against when you want to breed this young lady. And, yep. Yep. Um, you know, I, I always remind our students is that, we can go through the science, right? I can, I can give you all the acronyms and hormones and, and discussion, but the reality of it is, is if the body senses there's not enough nutrient available for reproduction, reproduction will go away. Yeah. And so yeah. whether yeah. that's through true food scarcity or through something where the immune system is taking the nutrients away, we just want to be mindful of that as we, we bring her up to that point. Right. Yep. Is give her yep. the space after she's been found in her first heat, give her the space to effectively eat through that next 21 days. Give her that ability not to be immune activated in those 21 days so that she can perform where we want her to be. Right. So the, that's hopefully yeah. what people are kind of taking away from that part of the conversation. Yeah. I, I, I like, you know, just one simple word. And that is what you're what you're saying, which I like, Laura, is, is be mindful of mm -hmm. what we're doing to the guilt and what we're expecting of the guilt and making sure that the two are reasonably uh, in sync with each other. Yes. And, and I I haven't heard that word used in the context of guilt management. And I really like it to be mindful. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Is the other um, the other thing that I think you brought up that I don't think the the jury has decided yet is do we slow her down or do we let her let her yeah. grow as fast as she can? And um, you know, we're doing some work here now. Um, we're working with a, a larger production company, and we are trying to slow gilts down. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of takes us back a little bit to the COVID days and to some of the trials, John, that you and I and, and Dr. Gabler did here, where yeah. we were trying to um, slow pigs down and and try to do it in a manageable way, if if that's yeah. the right yeah. word. And yeah. then you know what's available. So soy holes, for example, are available. Mm-hmm. And so can we create a less energy dense diet? Um, of course, we saw it. We saw it after we started this project that they they say, well, yeah, after four weeks, they're going to compensate. And they they did successfully. Um, so we're trying a couple other little tricks that, um, again, just through nutrient manipulation. So common ingredients that we might all have access to that we can try to bring her down and see if that does, in fact, change performance. Um, and we're not talking about immediate performance, right? I'm not talking of, of litter performance at that first farrowing, except maybe milk yield, right? We do think milk yield mm, could be there. Yeah. Um, but we're looking at, at long-term, right? The longevity, does the bone have more time to to remodel itself and, yeah. and get denser? Or is this, no, we don't need to do this. We can just let them grow at a rapid pace and and move them in. So um, we actually do, we have barns that are side by side. Some are growing as normal and some are slowed down. And so we really hope to have some answers to that because I do think that's a question that a lot of people still ask. And um, it's a hard one to answer at this point. Yeah, that's, yeah, it is. a, it, And that question has been around for so long mm-hmm. and, uh, and for good reason. I think there's very, very good reason for doing that. I'm glad to hear you're doing research in that area. And, and to me, there's, kind of two components to it. There is, do we slow them down? And is there a right way or a wrong way to slow them down? And it sounds like, you know, you've got that in the, in your mind with the research that you're doing. So we'll look forward to the results of that. But since you're looking at longevity, we'll, uh, we'll have to be patient. <laughs> yes. Yes. It'll be a few years out, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I won't ask you how you found a graduate student to stick around that long in order to, to do that study. But anyhow, that's for another time. Um, so, yeah, so we want to uh, we want to, de- I guess, at this point in time, develop an understanding of the developing guilt um, in a manner that's appropriate and kind of gathering from your comment appropriate means not only short-term reproductive performance, but long, longer-term outcomes, and especially longevity issues with um, culling, lameness, those kinds of things, that if we can reduce those, the economic benefit and the welfare benefit would be substantial. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I do think there are certainly things we do know today about what we should be doing from a nutritional perspective with our developing guilt. Right, we know that we shouldn't be shorting her or feed. I shouldn't say short, but we shouldn't be feeding her calcium and phosphorus levels of, of what we see a grow finish pig receiving. Yeah. Right, we should be giving a higher level of calcium and available phosphorus to her to allow that bone to be denser because we do know that that does deplete over time. 
And so we want to make sure we've got that structure there. Um, certainly, I think today there's there's enough data out there to support that the use of organic trace minerals in diets can help with tendon development. Um, and some of the work that we did many years ago, feeding it in the guilt developer actually did improve um, first total born numbers, mm. and it did improve retention in the sow herd. So the percent that was being culled for lameness was decreased when we were able to mm. use that within the herds. And so yeah. we can look at some of those and say, yes, you know, those are definitely um, pieces that we want to think about. Um, there's other exciting work that's out there that, um, you know, I'm still trying to kind of put my mind on and, and figure out what the next steps are. But I, I think it's important um, when we think about milk yield, right? We have sows having very high litters and we all want great weaning weights when our pigs are weaned. Um, so how do we promote milk yield and milk performance? And Chantel Farmer has done some some phenomenal work up in Canada on mammary development. And you know, mammary development occurs in different phases. And we know there's a huge development in gestation. But there's development occurring while those animals are starting at 25 kilos and going up through puberty and Particularly, again, as we hit puberty, we see a, a development window. And so um, she's starting to demonstrate some great data that shows that, you know, we can, we can either help that along or we yeah. can hinder that. Yeah. And, you know, some of it's related to lysine, some of it's related to some other things. And so, you know, those are pieces that we're also kind of looking at. And we're following some of Chantel's work because I think that's it's very valuable information. And again, something that we don't think of, right? We think of, oh, we'll worry about milk yield when she's ready to go into farrowing. Yeah. And this is something we should be thinking about, you know, when she's coming out of the nursery, essentially, and, and starting yeah. through that process. So um, for sure, for a guilt, there are certain things that we do want to be mindful of. And there are things that we can do nutritionally today um, to set her up to be the best that we can get her to be. Right, right. And again, just to reemphasize that we were asking much of that developing guilt, and we need to keep that in the uh, forefront of our thinking to just be mindful. What, what are all the pressures or expectations, I guess better word, expectations that I'm putting on this guilt with respect to growth, with respect and even growth, breaking it down into uh, you know, uh, growth of, of protein in her body or lean in her body, fat in her body, skeletal development so that she's got good, strong uh, legs under her. And to your point, we know that the uh, calcium and phosphorus levels, which are perfectly acceptable for a market animal uh, so that it can go to go to market at 300 pounds or whatever, uh, excuse me, 125 kilograms uh, and and. Um, uh, but that a higher level of calcium and phosphorus is required in order to optimize uh, bone development. Mm -hmm. And again, being mindful, in, that's, that's correct, right? Would, yes, would you agree yes. with that statement? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, so there's all these things that, uh, that we're expecting of the animal. And maybe just to, to summarize before we continue on. So in addition to the growth of the body, growth of the skeleton, there's the immune response that we're seeking through immunization in these animals. There's the development, not just of the uh, 
uh, how can we say the the body of a growing animal, but also the specific growth we're expecting in the developing gill, i.e., the mammary tissue. Maybe there's some differences that are required for the development of reproductive tissue, but we don't really know that, uh, that, I, that I'm aware of at least. Um, but there's all these other things that we are expecting to happen at different stages of guilt development. And the message that I'm hearing you delivering, Laura, is keep those in mind and making sure that our management systems and our feeding programs, both nutrient content and the manner in which we feed the animals are cognizant of those expectations. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that's a very good summary, John. Okay. Dang, I should have, before I retired, I should have sat in on your class, Laura. I would have learned a lot from <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. So we're, so what is left, Laura? We've got two or three minutes left. Have we covered the the waterfront or is there any other points you'd like to make? Well, I think, you know, when we talk about guilt, I, I think what everybody's kind of maybe hearing in this conversation is there's a lot we don't know as well. And mm-hmm. it would be wonderful if we could get some additional research around guilt development and their needs. And And I understand that's expensive research to do because we have to track her for a period of time. Yeah. And so I think it's very easy for people to get discouraged when we talk about guilt development and say, well, we don't really know. And so, you know, we're just going to kind of run with it and and hope this works. And so, um, you know, do your homework, uh, spend some time as, as John just mentioned, be mindful of the practices that you're putting into place. And as the research continues to grow, we'll, we'll continue to add and make changes to the guilt um, in our conversations. But, you know, this is one area that if, if I were to put a finger on it, I would say we don't know very well how to set her up from a complete nutritional perspective, right? We have pieces, but I think there's still some pieces out there that um, could have some great impact. We just have to spend the time to get that work done. So, right. um, you know, I think my, my parting statements around this is there's some great great spaces to work on. I think there's some great opportunities for people to go into their barn, make sure we're on full feed, make sure we've got them started well, you know, make sure they have adequate water, right? All the basis that, that we're looking at, make sure that that checklist is done at a bare minimum and then start looking at other opportunities, right? You know what? I was just thinking as you were speaking, Laura, there's a bit of an analogy with our cropping systems. You're saying we don't know everything that we need to know to be perfect in how we feed and manage this development guilt. And if I'm a crop farmer, and, and many Canadian pork producers also have cropping systems. Um, there's there's things that you don't know and don't control. You can't control the weather. You don't necessarily know what the markets are going to be like when the crop comes off. Um, and, uh, and then there's other unknowns that can happen, uh, storms and so on. But you do control the things that you can control. You, mm-hmm. And those are the things that it's just like in the developing guilt. There's things that we don't know, but there's things that we do know and do the best that we can with what we do know and just accept the other until we get a handle on those as well. Absolutely. Very good. good summary. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Uh, that was good. Wonderful session. It's time for our famous three. 
We'll wrap up now with the uh, tradition of the Swinet Canada uh, podcast and ask you the three questions. Uh, and the first question is your favorite swine book that you have read or are reading that you would recommend potentially to our listening audience. Yeah, so I have a handful that sit on my, my desk quite regularly. Um, one of them that I do read periodically would be the just the Swine Nutrition book. So we always call it the Blue Book. I go right. get the Blue yes. Swine Nutrition book. Yeah. Um, and that has, I really do like that one. It, it, it breaks pieces down and it, it has some really nice um, application and kind of helps people follow along. So that is one that I, I always tell my grad students to go grab, read a chapter on it. Um, to kind of help just give them a good found foundation. Yes. I, uh, Do you have yours? <laughs> yes. There it is. <laughs> there it is. It's upside down, though, John. Flip it oh. over there. <laughs> Sorry. There, there you go. go. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's – and actually, Laura, I, I use that a lot. That's why it's so handy. It, the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Austin Lewis and Lee Southern did a wonderful job of putting the authors together and the chapters together. So then we move on to the second uh, question, and that is just general reading books. Do you have any, it, it could be uh, nonfiction, could be fiction, professional development, or just something you read for fun? Yeah, so one book I recently finished was a book called Farmers vs. Foodies by Ray Starling. And so mm -hmm. it's just a very interesting um, book. It's a very light read, uh, but it, it's kind of, I mean, it certainly challenges your thought process about how are we raising pigs? How do other people see the food that's on our, it's not just around pigs, but how are we raising animals versus what's on our plates? And that conversation between consumer and farmer and just trying to maybe bridge um, how we both think to, to try to challenge yeah. us in both directions, right? So um, it's just, it's farmers versus foodies and it's with Ray Starling. And I think you can find it in a lot of different channels if you've not read it yet. Right. Great. And then the final question is the question I particularly like, and I think it's directed towards the younger part of our listening audience. And that is, Laura, when you look at the, who you think are the leaders in the swine sector, what is it that sets them apart from the crowd? What makes them leaders in their in their field yeah i ask this question a lot of everybody and so yeah. for me to do it on the other side I, I think it's interesting um there's a couple of key attributes when i think of of individuals that i have seen that are are leaders in the fields um one one that i do get is they they question right they they will question what's happening hmm. um question if this normal is is acceptable um, and just questions. So I was actually telling my grad students this on the way down yesterday. So uh, Dr. Staley, my mentor, um, I was sitting at the the table one morning. It was early. It was about seven thirty, eight o'clock and working on stats like every nice, good grad student should be doing. And he sat between myself and another student and he looked at us and he says, what's the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? And, um, you know, I, you know, my thought is, is what do I have to do? You know, how do I, what am I eating for breakfast kind of mindset? And he's like, well, no, here's what I'm thinking. And we had an hour conversation about some metabolical pathway or metabolic pathway yeah. for the day. Yeah. And, but yet he's always thinking, right. He was always questioning. And um, some of my previous mentors as well, 
Um, it was not uncommon for them to come in and say, you know, here's a problem. Let's let's think about if this is how we've been doing it, if this is really the right way to do it or the best way to do it. Yeah. So that yeah. questioning aspect um, in leadership, I think, is is always valuable. That's a good point. Um, and I'm not sure it's come up yet in the podcast that I've done, Laura. So thanks mm-hmm. for bringing up bringing that up. That's a that's a really good one. And leave it to Tim to ask yes. you a question about metabolic pathways, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eight o'clock in the morning. It's it's not interesting, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just not where you thought your head would be. No. Great. Well, Laura, thank you so much. This has been an excellent um, uh, podcast that you've shared. Uh, your uh, thoughts and ideas on uh, feeding and management of the developing guilt. Thank you so very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Minutes, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.